Hello, my name is John Smetanka, and the name of our program is With Respect. Today's guest on With Respect is Robin Allen. Robin is the uh, proprietor of Forever Books in downtown St. Joseph, Michigan. Every quarter of the year, we have uh, her as our guest so that we can talk about books, which is um, one of my favorite uh, topics to talk about, and and obviously it is for her as well. Robin Allen, With Respect. Robin, how are you today? I'm great, thanks, John. Thanks for having me. You're quite welcome. It's always a, a lot of fun talking about books, which is uh, something I've uh, I've always been interested in, and and uh, I I like it once every four, three, four months. Sit down and talk to you because the book industry keeps uh, changing. It keeps uh, going with the times. Sometimes up, sometimes down. But um, there's reading is is such a such an individual taste uh, activity. Uh, eventually, we like our we like our books, uh, our mysteries or our picture books for kids or or nonfiction. We, you know, we we develop a taste, and so uh, ordinarily we'd start right off with novels and and. Uh, and nonfiction for adults, but I, I'd like to switch around. I'd like to take a look at, because it's coming up to Christmas, and grandparents or parents like my, I'm a grandparent, uh, looking at what kind of a gift I could give that would be meaningful to my grandchild. And so I, I always say books. So let's, can we talk about uh, books for kids to start with? Yes. I mean, everybody gets a book this year, so... I'm going to start with the young books, Kids for Younger Children, and this is pretty much kids, I would say, four through six. These are what we call picture books, and we're going to start out with one of my favorites, which is Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Sleigh, Hmm. and it's part of the Pigeon series. He has quite a few, which started with Don't Let the Pigeon Drive the Bus, and it's very simplistic, but when I read it aloud to a child and heard them giggling, it's it, they're just hot books. So this one is starts out, you know, hi, I'm Santa. Listen, I've got to leave for a little while to wrap some gifts. So can you watch things for me? Thanks. And remember, don't let the pigeon drive the sleigh. <laughs> and of course, the pigeon appears and is, you know, sucks up to you. Oh, happy holidays. I'm such a good person. And you, you're going you're so nice. You'll let me drive the sleigh. And of course, we the kids say no. But um, in the end, it has such, it's just hilarious book in his drawings. In the end, he discovers that there's a reindeer, which is a little bit scary, and he decides he's going to become the Easter Bunny instead. 
so it, it, it's 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 just hilarious. Mo Willems has won all kinds of prizes, and just a favorite of mine. So, what what is a picture book, and how do we gauge when we're thinking about what our our yes. our four year old is going to be interested in? What what yes. is a picture so book? So, picture picture books cost anything from uh, usually they're about fifteen ninety nine to nineteen ninety nine, and they're usually about sixteen to thirty two pages. And they are uh, pictures along with some words, uh, usually for people to read aloud. Uh, I love to pick books that are fun to read aloud for kids. And they can, especially they can participate in the story or either teaches a lesson of some sort or kids can kind of understand in their own lives what it has to do with them or they get a giggle kind of thing. So... Um, the the next book that I have is How the Grinch Lost Christmas. And this one is a continuation where the Grinch is participating in a tree decorating contest. And little Cindy Lou says, would you help me? And he says, go away. And he loses to Cindy Lou. And she said, what I needed was a special ornament just for you to add to my tree. And, of course, the Grinch succumbs to the heartfelt feelings of Christmas. So it's it's very much in the Dr. Seuss genre and a fun addition to the regular How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so that's fun. And then if you, if you want to deal with Santa, you've got How Does Santa Go Down the Chimney? This one is by Mac Barnett and illustrated by John Clausen. They're known for their tongue-in-cheek, fun, uh, wonderful illustrations. He's written so many books and won so many prizes for his books, and I love this one. And it it's pretty much goes through how the heck does Santa get into your house? Very clever. But what I like about it, it says at the end uh, – the very last word, Santa goes up the chimney the same way he comes down, and I have no idea how Santa does that, ah. but, I'm, but I'm so glad he can. Ah. So kids, can, kids are always asking that question, huh? we don't have a chimney, we don't have a fireplace. So that's, uh, I, find that, uh, I find that interesting. Okay, then the next one is... Uh, the next picture book I have, I, l- I like this one because it's called Little Red by Will Hillenbrand, and it's about a red pickup truck. And, you know, boys like pickup trucks. They like trucks. And and this could also be for a younger one, like three. This is more like three and four-year-old at the most. And it's a story of how a pickup truck helps this community when there's supposed to be this big festival and people are trying to get to the festival, but there's a snow a lot of snow and people are getting stuck and so he helps out it's, it's just a charming little book and will hillenbrand is from ohio which is really nice he's, he's a very nice man i've met him and the last one i have in the picture book section is by it's not a christmas book but it is by jenna bush hager and her sister barbara pierce bush and we have signed copies of this picture book, and it's called Love Comes First. And it deals with, okay, we're sisters and we love each other, but what about when there's a brother that comes along? What about cousins? What about people and our neighbors that are different than us, than we are? And um, 
at the very end, she writes a letter. The, the two of them write a letter and they even signed the letter hands written on the hand signed on the back too. So it's, um, you know, it's a nice gift. We have a, a lot of signed books and people really like signed books. I don't know. They're not always necessarily worth anything except when you have a gift, it's kind of nice to have a signed book. Mm-hmm, saved. Mm-hmm. So that's picture books. They're fun. My, my issue with picture books is kids are, uh, they, once they learn to read, they want to go to chapter books, and they miss out. So you have six- and seven-year-olds that miss out on these wonderful illustrations and wonderful stories and the art and, um, you know, the one-shot feeling that they, they get from picture books. And I, I wish they – I know with my nieces, I just said, sit down and read it to me. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they miss out on some classics maybe that are illustrated because they feel that they're above that, mm-hmm. which is too bad, which is too bad. Mm-hmm. So that's picture books. Those are picture books. They're really wonderful. Now, if you have kids that are 8 to 12, there's chapter books. And, and I really like books with a story to them. One thing that's really popular now are uh, series where people, kids are reading a series and they get involved in that. Those are usually light, not a real deep uh, meaning. And uh, I, I think kids miss out on a lot of that. It's too bad. And I would say there's probably three that on my list here that I'm going to give you that are my absolute favorites. I love this. I love this. Uh, category because there's rich stories. My favorite uh, storyteller is Kate DiCamillo and she has an original fairy tale that she's written. I've read it and Sherry who works here has read, we've read, both read it and we loved it. And it's the puppets of Spellhorst, S P E L H O R S T. And it's, it's, uh, and, and most, I would say, all of these books also have illustrations with them. And this is a nice little trim book with the great illustrations. And it starts out, once there was a king and a wolf and a girl with a shepherd's crook and a boy with arrows and a bow. And also there was an owl. The king had a beard made of human hair. The wolf's teeth were bared in a snarl. The girl wore a green cloak. The arrows in the boy's quiver were sharp enough to prick a finger. As for the owl, his feathers were real. There's, and a, there's, a, rhythm, the, there's a rhythm to that, yes, obviously, as you read it. She's genius. She's won all kinds of prizes. Uh, she's won, um, uh, I, I, I mean, she's won new, two times. She's won a Newberry Medal, uh, Tale of Despero, Flora and Ulysses. But this is a story of five puppets that are jumbled together at the bottom of a trunk. And it has a Russian kind of feel with it. And it has the word spell horse stenciled on the lid. And the shopkeeper who owns them declares that the king, the boy, the owl, and the wolf are united by destiny and they can't be split up. And they're shuffled from, and you follow them from owner to owner. When, when they get to the end of their journey, unfortunately, there's some tragic comic circumstances where they get separated, mm. but it's, it's, it's just a heartwarming, heartwarming and exciting book. 
I love that one. Uh, another one that I love is called Dogtown by Catherine Applegate. She's another one of my favorite authors. And Jennifer Childenko, both of them are award-winning books. But this is just charming as can be. And it's about a three-legged border collie, Aussie mix, who uh, is along with, believe it or not, a robot dog. They've been relegated to a... Um, to a dog shelter and you have to kind of figure out, okay, they're old robot, old robotic dogs end up getting sent here too. I'm like, okay. All right. Okay. I'll believe that. Mm -hmm. Well, the three of the two of them, plus a mouse who decides to, who does things in the shelter to save dogs. Uh, they decide they're going to break, break out and try and find their owners. And the mouse is going to help them. And it's just, just wonderful, just really wonderful stuff. Great right. illustration. Do you think that these um, can break down uh, by boy, girl, or by culture, or anything like that, or are these universal kinds of books? I don't. You know, one of the disheartening things of my career that I'll never forget is when a boy came to the counter. And I don't, the grown up that he was with said, put that book that back. That's for a girl. Ooh. And it, and it broke my heart. It broke my heart. Uh, I say, read what you want to read. But if you're buying a gift, I have to say, this is the, this is pretty much the rule. Girls will read everything, but a boy sees a girl on the front of the book. Forget it. Really? Yes. Not always. Not always. But uh, like the picture book, you've got a little red pickup truck on the front. A boy's a truck. Okay. A girl probably wouldn't pick that up. She would pick up the one more than likely uh, with the, the, you know, the, the Bush girls, the sisters kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I think it's the... I think it's the mission of booksellers and parents and librarians and teachers to give kids a variety of choices of books. Uh, I know when I was teaching, I, I did one summer school with third graders because I taught middle school and high school, but I did a summer school with third graders. And I read aloud books that would have, you know, girls and, and, and give the kids, I would, you know, read aloud time and give them a, a, a variety of books so that they don't get set. Well, this is a girl book. This is a boy book mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I, I think that's really, really important. And I have to be honest, a book about a dog either. Mm. Yeah. A okay. book about a dog either. And, and, you know, the puppets of spell horse, there's a king and a wolf and a boy with a bow and arrow kind of thing. What you're, what you're saying is there's, there's something about... Uh, I'm not sure if it's innate or cultural or uh, whatever, but uh, there's and uh, you have to a kid or you know frankly uh, adults want to identify with somebody in that book um, and or something that that resonates inside them. Uh, yes. we're going to take a break right now. We're, we're talking okay. we're talking to Robin Allen, who is the uh, chief cook and bottle washer and, and proprietor at Forever Books in beautiful downtown St. Joseph, Michigan. 
Uh, this is John Smetanka, and we will be right back. back on with respect with our guest this week is Robin Allen the uh, proprietor of Forever Books uh, in uh, downtown St. Joseph Michigan this is John Smetanka so when we we broke we were talking about chapter books but we we're also talking about the concept of how do we get how do kids or adults make selections of things that they're interested in and I I tossed out that it's somebody that there's somebody in that book that, or in the cover of the book, I guess, oh, that yes. the uh, that the person can identify with. Absolutely, covers I think are so important, and and titles, and even when I do the buying, when the publisher, whoever has to describe this book in the catalog, has a big responsibility because I go through for one publisher, just one publisher for one quarter of the year, a thousand books. And I'm scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Oh, that's just one. I probably go each season. I probably go for the year. I figured I go through 120,000 books a year. Wow. Scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. So the cover has to catch me. The title has to catch me. And I watch the author. If it's somebody well-known, then I have to watch for that. And I have to watch, are they local, regional, um, and uh, they probably have to describe the book in a few sentences, and I'm moving on to the next, moving on to the next, moving mm-hmm. on to the next. So it's a tough, tough um, business. I mean, it, it really is. And you only have so much time for someone in the bookstore to catch their eye. So it could have a wonderful title and a great cover, but it could have a terrible story. Mm-hmm. And, and especially with picture books, mm. I, I'll, I'll see fabulous illustrations and then the story's awful and I just pass it by. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have to have a combination of both. You have to have a combination of both. So that's, so I have just, uh, I'm going to skip a few here, but I, I do want to get to the rest of these. I'm going to skip a couple of these intermediate chapter books. Go ahead. Uh, one is Billy and the Giant Adventure, and this is by Jamie Oliver, the the chef, the famous chef. It's a kids book, great cover, uh, about a hidden world, a journey. I I have not read this, but Beth's son has read it, and he's not a reader. He's a science math kid. And he's read it and really is loving it. So it's, uh, it's, it's a big adventure. There's something in the woods. And uh, it, it, I just thought it was, it really caught my eye and thought, I thought it was really a great adventure book. I was really surprised. But it's a story within a story. 
So the father, as a bedtime tale, is telling the story to his two children. So it also touches on the natural balance of the forest. So you have a little bit of nature taking care of the earth under you know, the story beneath the story, too. So you get a little life lesson on top of it. Stories in a story sounds yes. uh, like uh, The Princess Bride. Yes. Uh, or on a different um, level, The Art, the, the uh, Heart of Darkness uh, yes. by Joseph Conrad. Joseph Conrad, right, right. So uh, the, the next one, we do have a book signing next Friday by a local author, Kelly Baptist. And she's, this is, I think, her sixth book. Uh, she works for the Benton Harbor School System and has really hit it big. Sure, her last book was chosen as One Book, One Community for the City of Grand Rapids for kids. Mm. And it was also chosen, I think, in a North Carolina public school system because she did a tour in North Carolina for that. So I have read all of her books, which is very unusual for me. I usually pick one and from an author and go from there. But this one is called Ready, comma, Set, comma, Doe, not Go, D-O-U-G-H. And it is about, a, I think, is she a sixth grader? I can't recall. I think she's a sixth grader. But it's it's pretty much for grades four through six. Yeah. Uh, she is in sixth grade, and she has a computer that has gone kaput, and she loves writing, and her parents keep trying to patch up the old one. And there is a all-school fundraiser, so any of you that have Girl, Scout, Girl Scouts or fundraisers, it's the she sets her sight on selling the most cookie dough. Hmm. And, it, and, it, what is, and, of course, the prize is a computer. Whoa. But it, it kind of tells you what cost is she willing to win. And it's told, uh, it's really good. So it's a tight story. It's good for re reluctant readers. So it, it, I really enjoy it. So she's going to be signing the, 20, the 24th of November, the day after Thanksgiving from 1 to 3. And she has six other books. And, and she's just delightful. I, lo I love it because she has five kids of her own. Mm. And so she knows of what she writes. And my last one in this is, I think we've discussed this one before, but I thought it was fascinating. And it's called The Improbable Tales of Baskerville Hall. Oh, and I, yeah. It is, and it's book one by Ollie, Ollie Standish. And this is grades four through seven. And this is about a young, impoverished Arthur Conan Doyle is invited as a child, a kid, yes, to attend an elite secretive boarding school named Baskerville Hall. And his roommates are James Moriarty, Irene Eagle, Irene, Dr. John Watson. He's the professor of anatomy and physiology. Mm. Mrs. Louise Hudson, who's the deputy headmistress. And eventually he meets Sherlock Holmes. So, so if any of you know, you know, it's going to set your head spinning on this. But I'm, I'm going to sign up for that. I, I'm a bit oh, barely okay. behind, barely beyond seventh grade in my psyche. So I think I can do this one. You, yes, you would like this. You would like this. Uh, the only thing is, I'm, I'm a little worried that maybe kids may not get some of the, you know, the connections here. But come on, the game is afoot. 
<laughs> the game is afoot. And that's middle grade. I love reading middle grade books. They're, they're fast reads, but they're, if you get some good ones, they really, really are fabulous. You know, one of the ones that you, you, um, we've had, we talked about in the past, it's a, a great author. I'm not sure if she's still writing uh, books, but Blue Balliot, who uh, lives in Chicago and uh, lives in that uh, community around the University of Chicago. And a lot of her books are, are uh, about that area. Uh, at least as a background, I love. I, you know, I'm written for a, a younger person, but I I lapped yeah. it up. It was really good. They're they're really good. She hasn't written anything in, gosh, I would say seven, eight, six years. I don't know what's happened to her. Yeah. But I loved her books. I thought they were fabulous, and I did use her books. I used to. I hooked up with a. a I think they were fifth graders and we used her books uh, and the kids would all read the book. And then I would come and we'd discuss the book in the classroom. And uh, it, it just, it was so good. So good. So good. Now a tough, a tough age are teens. It's, it's, um, it is tough to pick out a teen book. You, we kind of ask our customers, what do they like to read? do they like to read? Uh, and a lot of teenagers will tell you what books they want for Christmas kind of thing. But, uh, and it's kind of, it, it's difficult too to get fiction books for teen boys, especially. There's uh, one that I really am reading now and it's by Sharon Cameron. Sharon Cameron has written a wonderful, uh, another wonderful book that Sherry read and loved. And this one is called Artifice, A-R-T-I. F-I-C-E, and it takes place in 1943, where a Dutch 18-year-old, her, her job is to protect the, a gallery, including a hidden Vermeer. This is during the war occupation of Nazis. And she has, looks after her widow or father, who, who is an impractical painter. So she kind of rebels by selling a fake Rembrandt to the Nazis for tax money. And she's kind of drawn into action because she she develops an uneasy alliance with a young art-loving Nazi soldier who wants to get out. And he helps smuggle Jewish babies away before they're sent to their deaths. So, I mean, this is for ages 12 to 18. It, it really, what I like about it, it inserts fictional, this fictional character into true stories of two fascinating historical fixtures, uh, figures. And it's all detailed in the author's note. So it's based on real characters. So that's the, about the Dutch resistance. Now, because there's a girl in the front, and I don't know if boys would necessarily read this book or pick, even pick it up or be thrilled if they got it for a gift. Probably not. But there is a series that's been famous. Uh, a 15-year-old 20 years ago wrote a book series called Aragon about a farm boy who became a dragon rider. I've seen those um, in bookstores everywhere. Yes, bestsellers. It's, they've, that Aragon has won, I counted it out, 1998, it won 22 awards. Ooh. So he was 15 years old when he wrote this, <laughs> this book, and it became a bestseller. And it's about a 15-year-old farm boy who discovers his destiny as a dragon rider. So if these thousands of kids have read this book, and they have come out with a illustrated 
edition, which is a coffee table book. It is it is quite the present. I mean, uh, it's beautifully illustrated, which is Aragon. But there's also a sequel to this trilogy that has just come out. It's called Murtagh, M-U-R-T-A-G-H, The World of Aragon. And that book, we do have signed copies of that. We had several copies. I don't know how many we have left, but that, if anyone has read those series, whether you're 12 or, you know, 25, because we do have young people, uh, young adults who do read this too. But the the Aragon, I, I only bought two copies of this and we just sold one now. So I don't know if I can get more of those, but it's it's quite the coffee table book. So... Sounds good. Okay. I'm trying to think uh, things well, that we read as teenagers too kind of have to. Well, let's take a break. Um, Sounds good. Before we move on to the next uh, genre. Uh, this is John Smotanka. <clears throat> We're on with respect. And our guest this week is Robin Allen, the owner of Forever Books in downtown St. Joseph, Michigan. We'll be right back with her. And our guest this week, Robin Allen, who is the owner, uh, and as I say, chief book cook and uh, yeah, chief booker and call and uh, uh, bottle washer uh, at uh, Forever Books in downtown St. Joseph, Michigan. This is John Smetanka. So where do we go from here? What we else do we fiction. have? We go to fiction. We're just zipping along. There's so many wonderful books uh, that. I think would make wonderful gifts and uh, I, I, especially books that I might've missed in our last radio show. But uh, one of them that wasn't mentioned before was one of my absolute favorite authors is Ann Patchett. She has a, uh, she's, she just won at the white house received a national humanities medal. She's won a Penn Faulkner award and her Dutch, her last novel, the Dutch house was a finalist for the Pulitzer prize. So her newest one is Tom Lake. We do have signed first editions of these books, um, but she it's about this woman who has gathered with her family at their Michigan orchard in the spring of 2020, and she's pestered by her grown daughters to tell them about her long-ago romance with a renowned actor uh, with whom she acted in a theater company called Tom Lake. So the story leads the young women to reconsider their own lives and how they think about their mother it's uh she has a, a great bookstore in nashville so if you're ever there go to parnassus books uh, the next one is sherry's favorite book for the season and uh, a bestseller in the store it's been on the bestseller list for quite a while it's lessons in chemistry and lessons in chemistry is uh, has become a, I think, an Apple TV series 
of six books, uh, six uh, shows, and people are just raving about it. And we just sell a lot of this book. And I didn't know that Sherry had read it. She said, oh, no, that's my favorite book. And I just got an email today that I can get a case of signed books. So we will be getting signed books of Lessons in Chemistry. And I did not write the author on that one. So I will have to look that one up. And that's by Bonnie Garmus, G-A-R-M-U-S. And that's a, pretty much about how women in the 1950s are treated in the workplace. It's about a woman chemist who's a bit quirky, a bit eccentric. Think on Big Bang Theory, those women scientists in that series. And she meets another chemist, has a child, and he dies. And she, so she's raising this child as a single mother. And she's not taken seriously. And at, at one point, they relegate her to do a cooking show. But she says, fine, I'll do it my way. And she describes how dishes come together chemically. And I guess it's very entertaining. So lessons in chemistry. Be careful. You're starting to edge into one of my uh, favorite, the, uh, uh, what was her name? The uh, young uh, mystic chemist uh, from a small village in England uh, who, uh, I've got a a block on her name that uh, solves uh, mysteries and, uh, but is a super chemist, and uh, she, oh, didn't they do a PBS series on her? Yeah, was she a nun? Uh, no, that was a different a different person. This is a young girl about twelve when the, the series of ten books first starts, and uh, she ends up, um, <clears throat> pardon me, she ends up solving crimes and mysteries and conspiracies until uh, hmm. uh, she's at you know fifteen or sixteen. She goes to Canada for boarding school for spies and it's on and on. It's just a, but it's great, great writing, great hmm. writing. Hmm. Any rate, I'll come okay. back. Okay. Can't help you there. Go All ahead. Right. I'm sorry to interrupt. That's okay. You're, you're fine. The next three are those cozy little Christmas books. You just want, you've had enough of Christmas shopping and cooking and all of this, and you just want to curl up and read a cozy little Hallmark book. You know, you want it to have a happy ending, a little romance, uh, picturesque. The first one is called Midnight at the Christmas Bookshop Mm. by Jenny Colgan. And you've got vivid scenes of the picturesque streets of Edinburgh, Scotland and she's had a bad breakup and lives with her sister but she ends up working in a quaint bookstore in the heart of Edinburgh for an elderly man whose passions are books and research rather than running a business so of course she comes in they're barely scraping by and she dives in trying to make the store money attempting to keep her mind off her breakup so if you're looking for a chance to escape the holiday hubbub, you'll find a nice respite in this one with this splendidly decorated bookshop. It's it's really wonderful. The next one is 12 Dogs of Christmas, and this combines modern day, uh, this is Christmas, and this woman is and her friend Dolly are driving adopted dogs from Houston to the small town of New York, and she asks her friend to be the second transport driver and there's a snowstorm and they're rescued by a kind-hearted paramedic 
So you, so if you're looking for a nice Christmas novel with a bonus of uplifting dog rescues, this is this is for you. Small town, cozy. And the last one is by Viola Shipman, also known as Wade Rouse, and it's called The Wishing Bridge. And it's about Henrietta, who made the difficult choice long ago to leave her small town for a big-time career in mergers and acquisitions. She's 52 years old, and she makes a last-ditch effort to appease her boss by trying to convince her parents to sell their beloved family-owned Christmas store to a huge corporation. And so she heads back to her hometown of Frankenmuth, Michigan. Wade writes all books under Viola Shipman, his grandmother. And they all take place in Michigan. And so she reconnects with her high school sweetheart. You've got the, the in the vein of a Hallmark movie. And as a matter of fact, one of his previous books has been licensed for a Hallmark movie. Is one of his previous books. So those three are just... Uh, people nowadays, they really want, uh, there's two trends. You've got the cozy that's going on, whether they're young or old, doesn't matter the age, or else they're looking for horror. <laughs> Why horror? Now, that's so, an interesting it, parallel. I know. People ought to be scared. That's why they go to slasher movies <laughs> and all of this. They want to be scared. I can't do it. But Beth has read one, and it's called The Starling House. The Starling House by Alex Harrow, H-A-R-R-O-W. And Beth, I said, Beth, what's your favorite book of the season? Fall, and she goes, The Starling House. So I looked it up, and she was telling me about it, and it's a haunted house story. This author, Harrow, won a Hugo Award, which is for science fiction and whatever. It's called The 10,000 Doors of January. And the reviews say, done it again on this one. And it's about a woman who lives in a motel room with her younger brother, but she's plagued by these mysterious dreams about wandering through Starling House, which is the most notorious building on the coal mining town of Eden, Kentucky. And you've got slamming doors and light that cuts through the town's rising mist. And none of the townsfolk have ever seen inside the store, but they know about the reclusive Starling family. So... I, she says it's just amazing. So if you're looking for that kind of book, there you go. It's for you then. And so we'll segue into mystery. Well, before before we do that, I want I want to sure. talk about something. I had the opportunity to um, go to one of your book signings, uh, uh, where Ray, Wade Rouse, uh, who writes as uh, Viola Shippen, as you mentioned. Um, spoke uh, to uh, the the audience mm -hmm. about his books, about his life as a writer, and um, about the booking industry. And I, you know, I it, it hit me. And I was talking to um, one of your people, Stephen, uh, after the speech was over. There was a huge crowd, and it was fascinating because the audience was really into a uh, confederacy of Wade Rouse fans. And, oh, and absolutely. They come from all over the country. All over. People come from uh, all over Midwest for him. He, he really speaks to people, and, and you heard him. You, know, you heard him. 
uh, he, he speaks with from his heart. He's the real deal. There's no, you know, I mean, that's who he is. And uh, he lets it all out there. And people connect with that. They, they really do. I mean, he does... He does trips to Frankenmuth. He got a hundred, I don't know how many women in a busload and went to Frankenmuth and uh, made pies at the pie place in Saugatuck. They sign up for that. They come to his house for breakfast and they sign up for that. And he's, uh, he's right now he's in Palm Springs. They have a home in Palm Springs. And, uh, but he did, he started out just doing regional book signings, but now he's hit the, he, took, he went through the South for a couple of weeks, did Florida and Atlanta and North Carolina and all over. So uh, he's, like I said, it's hit one of his books finally made it to a Hallmark. But his nonfiction is just unbelievable. I, I would say his book, A Magic Season, about his relationship with his father, the year it came out, that was my favorite nonfiction book. Uh, I'm not a big Hallmark book reader, but I did read this last one, and it, it, it's very good. I'm I'm a big nonfiction reader myself, so he really speaks to people. Well, one of the things that that um, I was thinking about, and I was talking to Stephen about after the uh, uh, after his presentation, while he was signing books by the the scores for the people who attended, <clears throat> was um, here is a phenomenon. This is a phenomenon uh, much like Harry Potter, much like uh, other things that I can, other groups that I can think of, uh, other series of books or genres. But I was, I've always wondered, do you, the bookseller, discover the author and the audience, or does the audience grab you by the throat and say, pay attention to this guy or this gal? Um, I would say, I mean, we have to realize I live in southwest Michigan. For, so for me to have book signings, uh, publishers do not send me authors because they want to sell between two and 500 books. And they put that right up front. You have to run a hall. You need to have at least two to 300 people there. And our small population just does not support that and you have to sign a contract and the whole bit so i don't get big authors i did have uh, gillian flynn who did gone girl with her first book and we had three people show up for her first book one of them was and, me and yes one of them was me and i thought that and, uh, Right. Wonderful and, and person. Plus we had to add plus we had to add two more people and my staff, I made them come so it, so we had five <laughs> people there. And she signed our wall, so it looks like we have you know, and I can tell people. Um and when the Apple Festival did have authors there, we were asked to sell books there. So I can say, gee, I had Jonathan I handled off site event for Jonathan Franzen or some bigger names. But uh, the very first time that Wade Rouse came to the store, it was for Luminary Festival. I had two other authors there, and we sold three of his books, uh, and that was it. It was a nonfiction book. It was fabulous. 
it was about when he moved from Chicago to Saugatuck, and it was called At Least in the City Someone Would Hear Me Scream, because mm -hmm. all of these raccoons making noises, and, and, and he was a city boy back then. So uh, it built, and we're talking probably 20 years ago, we're talking. So authors just have to scramble and work hard. I mean, he just, writing the book is one thing. Then you have to get it published, and then you have to promote it because there's just not money or the desire for publishers to promote, you know, authors. And it wasn't until he started writing as Viola Shipman, as his grandmother, that people started reading his books. He had to find his genre, his niche. And that's, you know, that's what did it, little by little. And he has a husband their partners and they promote, 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 promote. They make dish towels. They make candles. They make, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Uh, there's another romance writer, Brenda Novak, all of her books, they don't even print them anymore except in mass market, but she has book boxes that she sells for, I don't know how much they are, $50, I think. So she gets an ornament and she has a whole garage with a warehouse. I mean, it's, it's just crazy. It's just crazy. So well, it's a tough way. Is it, yeah, it's an interesting uh, thing. Yeah. Every author I've talked, every single one of them uh, that I've talked to, many, many, many people on, on this show, they all talk about how hard it is. It's just a slog either to write it, mm -hmm. write the book, or, as you say, to publicize it, and then to do this. And all of a sudden, you know, you say, what's it all worth? I mean, I've, all this work... And no one buys the book, mm -hmm. and it's on the second right. show at Barnes and Noble or, or wherever. It's right. it's got to be very frustrating. And I know right. one author we had on from uh, Virginia wrote a book. Uh, I liked it, called Immaculate Deception, as I recall. And uh, she had sent, first of all, letters, please be my agent, to one thousand people, mm -hmm. and she didn't. <laughs> And I think she found one person responded to her. And then she took the book, the first book, and she uh, ran with it. And uh, she got, um, I, I'm not sure. They, they actually, she was looking for a three book. It, it, what is it? Immaculate, what is it called? Immaculate Deception. Okay. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a mystery story. And it's, it's a nice book. I liked it very much. Um, but at any rate, uh, when it came around to trying to find a publisher, it was again, she she moved it all around to every publisher she could find, and her agent did, and, and it just, it, like, it was the fourth person, fourth entity that she uh, uh, had talked to who had initially turned it down and then came back and took it. But the other 900 places she had sent right. this book uh, had rejected it. But, do, you recall, do you recall her name? Well, if we keep on going for a little bit further, it'll come to me. I sure. can't remember right this second. Um, okay. And, and a lot of times they will get a, a press to print their book, and then the press has to sell the book, or it, it's, it's marketed through the wholesaler. And then by the time it gets to the wholesaler, the wholesaler takes their chunk, and when it gets to me, there's a, a, an author in South Bend, and it's a great cover and a great 
you know, it takes place in New Buffalo and South Bend. And I said, wow, I'd really like to do that. Unfortunately, the book, if it sold to me, I would make uh, like a dollar off of it. It's just not, and it's non-returnable. And I have to pay for shipping. And I said, you need to negotiate. Well, you know, she went back to that. So a lot of people sometimes will self-publish, but you have to come up with the money. It's not that they're paying you. You are paying them. And then the terms, I have to make a certain amount. And because, you know, to pay, the book has to pay for its, its, itself on the shelf. And if it doesn't sell, it goes back. We all, if a book doesn't sell within so many months, it goes back. Because yeah. it, it's a hard business. Yeah. But, you know, and I think a lot of people with their jobs, when I first started the bookstore, you know, I'm working until 2, 3 in the morning by myself. And so anything that you have to do, you have to have a passion for it and you have to be willing to put the pain and the sweat and tears in it. But, but most self-published, I mean, self-employed people wouldn't have it any other way. You know, it's interesting. I had, um, I, I dabbled in writing and so I have some draft books and and whatnot that I uh, have been uh, dealing with. But at any rate, uh, one of my uh, clients said, yeah, you got to find a, I've got this great publisher. He'll, he, he, he would love your book. So I went, I okay, fine, fine, fine. So I gave it a couple of, I have two novels going, and I gave them to the, uh, to the publisher. Damn, they offered me a three-book contract. And I thought, oh, well, that's nice. I didn't realize that a three-book contract is like gold. And I'd, but I gave it up, gave up the idea because I was involved in practicing law. It was... But, you know, I mentioned that to one author, and they looked at me, and they wanted to kill me. You turned down a three-book contract? Aye, yeah. hey! any rate. So if you talk about a contract, uh, uh, Wade Rouse had a contract. And his contract, he, had, he finished his last book, and they just informed him that, oh, no, we're not going to print that till 2025. So uh-huh. he has no books coming out next year. So he has no control over that. There's all kinds of little catches. Yeah. Catches. And, and so, you know, what we might do too is maybe I have a, this is up to you, but I have enough books here for another radio show and we could. Sure. We can, we can, uh, we can do that. Yeah, That sounds like a plan. Let's take a break right now. We're uh, talking to uh, Robin Allen, the owner uh, and full-time manager of Forever Books in downtown St. Joseph, Michigan. This is John Smetanka, and we will be right back. back on with respect with our guest this week Robin Allen the owner and manager of Forever Books in downtown St. Joseph Michigan this is John Smetanka so we left off uh, with us rambling about different parts of the the, the writing and publishing process sure. that mm-hmm. most people don't see virtually nobody sees 
uh, as if you sit down and talk to the people involved in this industry. But anyway, what else? What else is out there? Well, I could give you a couple more, unless you want to save. We could save mysteries and uh, nonfiction for another show, if you like. We could do that and talk about something else. Well, listen, um, I, I do have a couple more. I could I could give you some uh, a couple more fictions. Yeah, let's do that before we close out. Mm-hmm. Okay. My favorite, and we did talk about this one before, but my favorite fiction, uh, I have one of them is a 900-page book. I'm not going to talk about that one. But there was a wonderful book called News of the World by Paulette Giles. And it's it's kind of a post-Civil War frontier-type book. And they took that book, and Tom Hanks made it into a movie. And it was just a wonderful movie, News of the World. Mm-hmm. Well, Paulette Giles, when I found out she was writing another book, I just had to read it. And it's called Cheneville, C-H-E-N-N-E-V-I-L-E, by Paulette Giles, J-I-L-E-S. And this is also post-Civil War. And it's about a man who was severely injured in the Civil War and months and months of recuperation in, I think, North Carolina. But he lives in Missouri or Missouri, as they say, and he finds out when he returns a bit beaten up that his daughter and, I'm sorry, his sister and her husband and their baby have been murdered. Mm. And Mm. he's just consumed with grief, but he's in poor health. And he's been left, of course, the the farm, it's not really a plantation, but sort of like an estate. But he's driven by vengeance. And when he gets his health back together, he undertakes this his unrelenting odyssey across the post-Civil War frontier. Lawless, of course. And he's seeking redemption. And it's just wonderful. The cadence of the book is just magical and uh, I, 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 I just, that was my favorite favorite novel. I, I, just, I just love that one. Mm-hmm. So that's my favorite one. Um, and then Diana's favorite was a book, and I hear her back in the office selling this book over and over, and it's called Hotel Cuba, or as they say in Spanish, Cuba. And it's by Erin Hamburger, like the hamburger. This is her favorite, and she talks about this all the time how great this book is, but it's about uh, these sisters who are fleeing the chaos of World War I and the terror of the Soviet Revolution. So there's, you know, the sensible sister and her love-struck, impulsive younger sibling. Mm-hmm. They sail for America, but they are turned back at Ellis Island and end up in 1920s Havana which is sultry and I mean, so uh, she, she just loves this book and says, you know, all these setbacks and trauma, them trying to get to America. And it, it tells you a little bit what it's like to try and get into our country, but it's heartbreaking and epic. And she just said it was so profound. She just can't forget how wonderful it is. Hotel Cuba. Okay, that sounds good. Really, yes, really love that. Really love that book. So, uh, you know, when a book hits you like that, and you and you just love it, uh, people come into the store and 
it's funny today we had a situation where three women came in did not know each other and one picked up a book and or mentioned to us that they'd heard about this certain book and the other women perked up their ears and per before you know it, you have a three-way conversation and they end up comparing wonderful books together and it's it's the magical part of my job this is called word of mouth yes yes how how, how does strongly does word of mouth play uh role in picking books i'll tell you john i will tell about a fabulous book and i'll have my little review on the shelf and i just talk it up and talk it up and it's in hardcover and people, when it comes out in paperback, I don't think it's such a paperback thing. By the time it comes out in paperback, people are like, oh, have you heard about this great book? And I'm like, I've been trying to tell you about this book for six months. And I keep telling you, it's going to be a bestseller. Um, and so word of mouth is powerful. It, it really is powerful. I really think so. I think it is, We're talking about too. books now. Yeah. I have somebody who... Uh, listened to one of your radio shows and called me and it was a repeat and they called and said, Oh, I read that book and do they have any others? And that's, uh, you, it's that emotional connection that you have with a book mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That, that you have with a book. So I, you know, that's I had that out of the blue with, I, I said this on one of our shows in the past with Dr. Zhivago. Um, the, by Boris Pasternak, who won the Nobel Prize for Literature back in the 50s. Yes. And um, I, it was a, how did that happen? I was at a Christmas party. I was bored. I was, I was a 16-year-old kid, and uh, it was a bunch of family members, and they were hugging and kissing and telling stories. But I got off in a corner. I saw this book on the coffee table. I picked it up. I couldn't stop reading it. And my aunt, who was um, a smart lady, saw me doing that, said, you like this? And I said, yeah, well, this ha that happened to be a, a first edition that she had. Um, two days later, delivered to my house, was another first edition from uh, of that book from my aunt. Uh, she oh, she I did a, I did not remember that. Oh, first yeah. First edition? Yeah. It's a, wow. it's It's a great, it's, at any rate, that's... That is, you are, I'm, I'm illustrating what you said, which is people find a book. Books occasionally yeah. find people, but most yeah. often people find a book. And it's, it's, a, yeah. it's a marvelous thing that we, you and I have talked about this over and over over the years, is the magical world of books and literature. And, 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 and little kids' books, picture books. I remember books that I read when I was a kid. Yes. And um, the uh, golden book of, of knowledge and the golden book of uh, the world and whatnot. I just, uh, I still remember those pictures. Still remember my, those pictures. My very first book that I read was, I was four years old and I read uh, the Three Little Kittens, and it was a golden book. My mother said, you memorized that. I go, no, I read that. So, <laughs> so I, and sure enough, what I, what I ended up doing was finding an, a, a used edition of The Three Little Kittens. It's not worth anything, but it is to me. 
Mm-hmm. So That's I right. have the th- I have the three little kittens. I also I don't know if you remember there was a child craft books years ago. Uh, it was a whole series of books, and volume one was poetry and stories. And um, I read that book so many times it got somehow it got destroyed or something disappeared mm. on a move. And I had all of the set except for that one. Well, I don't, you know, what was this, 1950s something? Mm-hmm. And by golly, I hate to tell you what I paid for to get another another <laughs> one of that. Because, and when I got that book, it just brought back a flood of love about books that I just loved. So, all right. Doc, yeah. Robin Allen, unfortunately, we have to, we're running out of time. And okay. I want to thank you again for coming on for our quarterly visit, and we'll come back and talk about more books. Uh, so Great. hang on to that list. All right? I will. Great. Thanks, John. The, the name of our program is With Respect. We're on every uh, week, Sunday and Thursday. Until next time, remember, our motto is, if you show respect to other people, they will show respect to you.